Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. How do you know when your magic sword is blunt? How? When it starts critiquing your form during combat. It's time for a Compelled Duel bonus episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final bonus episode of Campaign 1 of Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. For now. We got a fun one for you today, folks. Let's see what happens. We zoom in. On the shores of the massive lake outside the city of Lockham in Tordoon. Into a little clearing in the woods where a bunch of tents have been set up. Past all the people bustling around, setting up what looks to be a big bonfire. Cooking some meals, chatting. To a group of teenagers and one smaller child arrayed in a semicircle as a small-ish, very slender figure in gauzy black robes with a veil kind of tossed back over his face paces in front of them. I mean, Barry, you can describe your character. Sid Javaris, formerly Illidan, formerly Javaris, is surveying the children arrayed in front of him with a very critical gaze. He does have on his Hierophant's robes, but, like, under the headpiece, he's also wearing a bucket hat and has some sunscreen smeared across his nose and a big metal whistle on a lanyard around his neck. He stops in the middle of this group and crosses his arms over his chest. Greetings, campers. My name is Sid, and for the next four weeks, I am your god. Standing arrayed before you are a few familiar faces. All of them already knew your name was Sid. Most of them have met you before. There is the Stormfolk teenager, you, with her very short dark hair kind of spiked up. She's trying to look cool. It's not working. Her very sharp, sharky teeth and milky white eyes and her sort of blue-green opalescent undertones. Next to her stands her girlfriend, Sunshine, also a Stormfolk. She has very dark brown skin with kind of rainbow-ish opalescence and a cloud of coily dark hair. Next to her stands the Stormfolk teenager, Glasses. He's had a growth spurt recently, which means he is taller than you. And he's trying out a new thing with his hair. It's kind of like, not quite a hipster man bun, but verging on it. It's quite bad. Very pale, white hair, kind of like, pale yellow and lime green undertones to him. Standing next to him is Lorelai Shakrana, who doesn't fucking like you. Very slight Australian elven girl. She's got her dark hair in a couple of pigtails going down over her shoulders. Um, wearing her own glasses kind of perched on her nose. Uh, dark, dark eyes, epicanthic folds, uh, kind of a round face. 
She is glaring daggers at you. She is not a fan. Well, I mean, typically Sid would try to check her attitude, but he did very much kill her brother, so... Yeah. (laughs) Not through any fault of his own, but, you know, he's gonna let that one go. And standing next to her, having insisted on entering camp, even though uh, Sabine was a little bit loath to let her do so because she is much younger than most of the campers here, stands a young infernal elf girl holding a crossbow with dark curly hair and purple skin. Uh, This is Courage, who this is your first time meeting her, but she has been told about you. As you finish giving this whole grandiose opening statement, uh, you, not you, but the pirate you, and Sunshine exchange a look, and Sunshine says, Ah, not to be rude, but you're quite a bit younger than we are, I think. And what of it? I am the voice of Kimrel, and more importantly, I am the head counselor for the pilot summer of the Beacon's Youth Development Program. This time all of them exchange dubious looks, except Courage, who is very excited about this whole endeavor. One of Sid's eyes twitches. Um, this is Sabine's whole pet project. Where is she? What is she doing? Sabine is supervising a couple of the other beacon operatives she has recruited as counselors. You are in charge of this little troop of campers, but there are a few others around. She's off in the distance, kind of leaning over people's shoulders and fussing with things periodically. Fee is kind of following her around, looking for something to do and not finding anything because this is not her deal. And the captain is enthusiastically helping set up a woodpile for a bonfire. Oh, excellent. I've been left alone with all the insubordination. Alright, you all have five minutes to go find your tents, drop off your bags, and rendezvous back here. I have been told that there will be icebreaker games. All of your campers, again, except for Courage, groan, but then move off toward their tents. As you are standing there, a hand kind of claps you on the back, and behind you, a voice says, So, sounds like it's going good, little brother. Sid stares into the abyss. These people vex me. Were it not for the great love I bear my big sister, I would have smote them all already. You hear Oberon, the next youngest of your siblings, desperately trying not to laugh loud enough that it will alert Sabine from where she is a ways away in the camp. And he circles around you, kind of lazily flipping a butterfly knife. I don't know what you mean, my campers are all peaches. You hadn't seen Oberon in, like, a while before very recently, like, since the destruction of your family home, for obvious reasons. He came out pretty young, so the fact that he was a dude was not a surprise to you, but the fact that he is this much cooler than you has been haunting and vexing you for, like, months at this point. He is a kind of lean, muscular Asherian elf, pointy, twitchy ears, very cool undertones, dark skin, dark eyes. He's got his hair done in like little twists that are middle parted and coming down over his forehead. 
and dyed this kind of ombre purple. It looks sick as fuck. And he is dressed in customary beacon sort of espionage armor with a couple daggers in his belt. So he has grown from a very awkward little dweeby, the equivalent of 12-year-old boy, as you remember him, to a very graceful and capable 17-year-old who knows it and is a little bit smug about it. At least he's still shorter than you are. That is your one comfort. Under his breath, very quietly, Sid goes, Fucking tool. Anyway, I'm sure your campers are just fantastic, Oberon. They didn't stick you with the pirates, the person that already had an agenda against you, and the infant. He gives you kind of a very amusedly pitying face and just goes, Aww. Sabine knows you like a challenge. And besides, it could be worse. I saw Colette's campers. They are all snooty little teenage prodigies. She's gonna be pissed when she gets here. Ah, yes, my two favorite things. Family reunions and impending violence. Can't have one without the other. As you are saying this, your campers return. Glasses, the young pirate man that you have been charged with, goes, Excuse me, Mr. Sid, sir. Why can't he be our counselor? He is pointing at Oberon. Sid briefly trembles with impotent rage, but then takes a deep calming breath. Because that's not what the roster says, and every day Kimrel laughs at me. Go to the campfire and find a stump to sit on glasses. Why can't I find a chair? Because we're at camp, and apparently that means we don't have chairs. We have stumps and sticks with which to roast marshmallows and ghost stories and all of the other happy shit my big sister has dreamed up. Oberon moves to stand a little closer to you and props his elbow up on your shoulder. He has to reach up. His shoulder must be uncomfortable. Chill out. You're going to have a rage aneurysm by day three. I should be so lucky. Sid shoves him off and stalks away. Behind you, you hear you, the pirate, go, The fuck is his deal? So, Sabine, your big bright idea for a beacon summer camp seems to be going off without too many hitches so far. It is late afternoon, you are sitting around a campfire with all of your campers, everyone is playing Two Truths and a Lie, your girlfriend Ferora Valsine is sitting next to you on a stump with her head leaned over on your shoulder, and your husband is being triaged by the pirate Sunshine after he singed his eyebrows off trying to make the fire bigger. Sabine, as she has done before when family events are on the line, we'll say, is being just manically cheerful about it, ignoring everything going wrong. <laughs> she is passing out marshmallows for s'mores with the energy of a shaking chihuahua. <laughs> and there are a couple things going wrong that you are steadfastly ignoring. A few of the people who told you that they were going to show up and help out are noticeably absent. You're not really sure what's going on there, but it's starting to get a little worrying. Those of your siblings that are here are sort of bustling around, facilitating activities. 
Sid seems like he's on a bit of a power trip, which you can only assume is the byproduct of being a teenager that had an entire island full of priests that had to listen to him for several decades. He's like blowing the whistle around his neck every two seconds and yelling, no running! Yeah, I'm gonna have to talk to him about that in private later. As you have that realization, you look over to the side and see a relatively small, flat-bottomed boat approaching your campsite across this big lake. As it approaches, you see a couple of familiar faces on it, namely that of your younger sister Colette, who is this very small, part Australian, part gnomish young woman with curly dark hair, sort of perching with her elbows on the railing of the boat, and your younger brother Florian, who is a taller, slimmer, extremely pale Australian young man, stark white hair back in a ponytail, big floppy sun hat on, round dark glasses perched on the end of his nose. He's dressed in black all the way down to his fingertips, gloves and everything. You can tell he's ready to combat a sunburn. Florian's girlfriend, your very good friend Erevay Enmar, is also on this boat, sort of pacing back and forth and checking the tension of the bowstring that she has strapped across her chest, holding her bow to her back. And then you see some people you don't know. As this boat pulls up and docks, your siblings and your friend hop off, but they are followed by these three... it appears to be teenagers? They're all wearing these sort of semi-formal uniform-looking blue robes with a little gold crest embroidered on the breast. One of them comes over to where you're standing, and she's this human girl, long golden hair, like eerily symmetrical facial features and big innocent green eyes. She kind of tilts her head to the side and gives you this big perfect smile. Hi, um, I think your friends came to the wrong place. My name's Isabel Shieldbrook, and those are... She nods at the two folks behind her, one of whom is a larger half-orc person with hair and a long braid down their back, and the other who is the most goth-looking goblin you've ever seen in your life. He has, like the straight ironed bangs and the raccoon striped hair extensions in his hair. Cash Hazelhelm, uh, that's Cash with two A's by the way, and Dax Darkwood. We're students over at the Lockham Academy of Arcane Arts and Sciences across the lake. You did not just present me with a scene goblin named Dax Darkwood. I did, and you and Sabine have to deal with that now. This little teeny bopper human girl is looking at you way more condescendingly than any 16-year-old with a sense of self-preservation should be looking at a beacon operative. She's just waiting. Sabine gives this kid a frozen, very polite smile. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Um, I must have given slightly wrong directions. She cuts her eyes over to Florian, Colette, and Erevé. Florian puts one gloved finger up and shakes his head. 
No, no, you gave us perfectly correct directions. Um, I just had one too many free mimosas on the boat ride over and turned right instead of left at the end of the dock. Arave said I was going the wrong way, but I didn't listen. Why were you driving the- You can barely see- Okay, uh, Sabine turns back to the 16-year-old. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, very nice to meet you. Give your headmistresses our regards. We have things to be getting to. Again, my apologies. Isabel Shieldbrook looks at all of your campers sitting around the fire and raises one perfectly manicured eyebrow. Oh yeah, it looks like you have a lot going on here. You know, it is really brave of you to run one of these summer camps for underprivileged kids. Seriously. Anyway, um, we've got a summer session to get back to, and... <sighs> Honestly, there's bugs out here, so I'm done. Toodles! Cash, Dax, come on! Barry, I don't like this child. Good, you're not supposed to. Without another word, Isabel's minions, you can only assume, fall into step behind her. They hop back on this boat and set off back across the lake. From over at the campfire, the pirate you looks up with a s'more halfway shoved into her mouth and goes, What a bunch of fucking yuppies! Mmm. That's not polite to say we have to share the lake with these people for the rest of the summer. Okay, everybody, back to what you were doing. Uh, Florian, Colette, Erve, you're not a counselor, but you can help. Um, let's go give you your tent assignments. You all set off back towards where all the tents are set up at camp. Erve takes one lingering look back at the lake and then falls into step beside you. Yeah, well, if I know anything about rich kids, which I should, I was one once upon a time, that's not going to be the last we see of them. They're going to get bored and want to come torture the peasants. Can't believe those are Adana's kids. Bad apples in every barrel, I guess. Let's... Mm. <sighs> okay. Anyway, tents over here. Uh, your campers are on the roster. Everybody's by the fire. If you two and Erve want to round up your assignments... That'd be great. I am trying so hard to keep everything together already, and it is the second day we've been here. Okay. Whew. Florian reaches out and squeezes your shoulder. Deep calming breath, Sabine. Erve actually had a great idea. We were thinking we could get all the kitties roped into archery practice. Being a good beacon operative means proficiency at ranged combat, right? That would be really good, actually. Yeah, yeah, that'd be, yeah, you should do that. Mm -hmm. Perfect! Weapons for everyone! I am suddenly less confident in this plan. Oh, Florian's gone. He's walking back towards the fire. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Um, <laughs> Sabine pivots to look at Colette and Arave and goes, I hate to put this on either of you, but... Can we all work together to make sure nobody dies? Is that cool? Can we do that? Colette looks at you completely deadpanned. It was your bright idea to come up with a beacon summer camp, and you want us to guarantee you a 0% fatality rate. We can't have a birthday party without anyone dying, Sabine. What planet are you from? 
It's not even an actual beacon gathering. We're just training. We're training a bunch of unrelated teenagers. Almost every single counselor is one of our siblings. We should be able to guarantee a 0% fatality, right, Colette? Are you planning on stabbing a 16-year-old? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Colette shrugs, looks back at the lake with the retreating silhouette of this boat, and goes, I mean, some 16-year-olds need stabbing. None of the ones here. Okay. I need a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you go off to chain smoke. Um, are you trying to hide? I mean, kind of. There are a few people in this camp that would give her a lecture if they caught her smoking. Notably, the captain, who's a hypocrite, and uh, her younger sibling, Jay, who is somewhere. Okay, go ahead and roll me stealth. Yeah, alright. Natural 13 plus 8 is 21. Okay. I'm gonna roll perception checks for all of the people who might bitch at you. The captain... Beefs it. Jay... Also beefs it. Okay. So you are sitting there with a veritable chimney coming up from you in this clearing in the woods. When you hear a voice from behind you go, Okay, so it's that kind of day. And your very dear girlfriend, one Ferrora Valsine, is standing at the edge of this clearing with her hip perched up against a tree, regarding you with the awe and caution that one might view a wild animal. Sabine takes another drag off of her cigarette (laughs) and then says, Well, uh, His Holiness the Hierophant has looked like he is one wrong move from killing someone for the past three hours. Florian, Colette, and Erevé got lost because somebody decided to let Florian drive the boat. I don't know why. And I had to deal with a bunch of snooty, preppy little children from Adana and Selica's Academy, so that was awesome. Oberon is still riding the wave of confidence from his last growth spurt and is very busy making sure everyone knows how cool he is. And one of Jay's campers ran another one up a tree because they were busy contemplating the lake, whatever that means. And we landed yesterday. So I'm really, really looking forward to the next eight weeks. Oh, and then Florian, my dear brother Florian, said to me, to my face with his mouth, yeah, weapons for everybody. So I needed a minute, you could say. Fee purses her lips and nods very slowly at you. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when you came up with the pilot idea for this whole program, I had my worries about it eventually causing you to go into cardiac arrest, but it felt like an unsupportive girlfriend thing to do to bring it up. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Thank you for your support. Um, I'm managing it. It's not a problem. We are training the next generation of beacon operatives. We are recovering from the schism. I am doing really good work here. I am. Mm-hmm. 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 I just have to not let anyone kill each other, which is something I'm really good at. Sabine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, I just have to make it through the next two months and then we can go on a big spa retreat. You, me, and the captain, and I plan to be very relaxed all of the time if we do that. Sabine, remember how we talked about the whole you-don't-have-to-micromanage-everything-all-the-time thing? I'm not micromanaging. I'm just trying to stop any teenagers from getting killed. Okay, and how do we do that? We, Della, 
Delegate. Exactly. You've got your whole family here as backup. You've got me. You've got the, uh, well, maybe putting the captain in charge of people not getting killed isn't the best idea, but he's very eager to help. (sighs) He almost burned his eyebrows off helping with the campfire. Yeah, I know. It was fucking hilarious. (laughs) Look, do you want some backup? You know I have people I could call if you want extra hands around. Let's see how we do on the first week first. Let's just, let's just, mm. She walks over to you and leans down a little bit to kiss you on the forehead. Okay, but until then, you've got to promise me no heart attacks, because I don't know how I deal with the- And then you hear a shriek through the woods. Just this agonized cry. It sounds like somebody is dying for real. (laughs) (laughs) And then Sabine runs. Sabine runs to wherever the scream is coming from. Fee falls into step behind you and you run back towards camp where you heard this scream. And by the shore of the lake, you see your brother Florian from the neck to the top of his shirt, just covered in red. From a distance, it looks like blood. But as you get closer, you see that it's actually like a fine colored powder. And beside him on the ground, you see an arrow, but there is no point on the arrow. There's been a small cloth bag tied to the end that seemed to be holding this powder. And he is dramatically grasping at his chest with one hand and reaching for the sky with the other. Oh! Oh, pain and death! My vision is fading! Goodbye, cruel world! He slumps forward, and Erevé very boredly reaches out one arm to hook under his and keep him upright. He looks adoringly up at her and goes, Oh, to die in your arms! And then she just drops him on the ground. A few yards away, you see Courage, Fee's little tiny sister, in her sparkly tutu, holding a bow with a big, open-mouthed, feral smile on her face. I've got the taste for blood now! (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Sabine puts her head in her hands. And then raises her voice just a little bit to call, Florian, are you actually dead? Florian is committing to the bit. He is on the ground and goes, <clears throat> and lets his tongue loll out of his mouth. But Aravay looks at you and just shakes her head. Okay. 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 Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick question. She turns to the campers. Why aren't you all shooting at Targets? You currently has a bow drawn and her eyes narrowed, and you can see her tracing the movements of an unsuspecting captain who is, like, still cleaning up the campfire. Where would the fun in that be? Okay, let me rephrase that. I recognize that it was a little passive-aggressive and that's on me. Find a stationary target to shoot at. Please. Thank you. Fine, fine. Oi, captain, stand still! Sabine turns back to Fee and says, Who were you thinking for reinforcements? 
Fee is watching all of these bloodthirsty children run around with a barely concealed look of abject terror. Um, well, I just realized nobody that wouldn't facilitate all of this. Good. I'm gonna go round up my other counselors. Yeah, you do that. Sabine walks off. (laughs) Sid, it's been a few days at this camp. You are not a huge fan of your campers, but you have grown to tolerate the environment. You're sitting on the edge of the lake supervising a lesson that the captain referred to as survival swimming. Next to you is sitting your sibling, Jay, just kind of skipping rocks. <laughs> they are a willowy, Asturian elven person, long, dark hair with a little bit of a wave to it, kind of bluey-purple undertoned skin, dark eyes with epicanthic folds, big round face, wearing technically its beacon armor. They have done some stuff to quote-unquote improve the look. Of the beacon armor. It's glitter, isn't it? Glitter, a little bit of lace. There's a seashell just kind of sewn into the breastplate. Jay's a very interesting person. (laughs) They stop skipping rocks long enough to yell, Go get them! To one of their campers, even though this is not a competitive lesson. They seem like a little bit out of it, and there there is an odor hanging about them. They're the equivalent of about 22. You can't lecture them on anything, but you feel the urge. Sid flips up the rim of his bucket hat that is still under his Hierophant's veil and cuts his eyes sideways over at them. You know you're, like, responsible for the well-being of children right now, right? Technically, the captain is responsible for the well-being of the children. And I know where you acquired the kind herb from, so my point stands. They turn to look at you very slowly and put one finger up to their mouth and say, If you tell Sabine, I promise you right now that all of the goodwill stored up for you by my relief that you're back will evaporate. My lips are sealed. Although you might want to offer her a toke or three. She's been looking like she's going to have a blood vessel go for like two days now. I would be reduced to a pile of charcoal within three seconds. No, thank you. Eh, fair enough. He picks up the whistle from the lanyard around his neck and blows it very loudly and suddenly. Sunshine, no running on the dock! Sunshine pays you no mind. She takes a running leap off the dock and then kind of like slides to a stop. She has clearly cast a water walk spell on herself because she is standing on the surface of the water. She turns, gives you a what-are-you-gonna-do kind of shrug, and then very calmly walks up to the rest of the survival swimming class. Sid stares into the abyss. I have no authority with these people, Jay. Decades of my life, I had nothing but authority, and now I have no authority. Jay very calmly puts an arm around your shoulders and pulls you a little closer and goes, You wanna talk about it, buddy? I'm not your fucking buddy. I'm the voice of Kimrel, damn it! Jay gives you kind of a mock pout and pulls you a little closer and goes, Aww, does the voice of Kimrel need a nap? I patched up too many of your scraped knees for you to not be my buddy, baby brother. 
He casts silence on Jay. You watch Jay try to continue saying something and then realize what you just did. And they brace a foot against your back and just punt you into the lake. <laughs> Can I, like, save to not get punted into the lake? I mean, roll dags for your roll with disadvantage because you didn't expect that to happen. Eight. No, you get punted into the lake, bud. You surface out of this lake, and Jay, still silenced, gives you a big smile and a thumbs up. And before you can retort with anything, you hear various sounds of commotion from behind you. Sid spits out a mouthful of lake water and then turns around to see what's going on. You see a flat-bottomed little sailboat with three teenagers on it right behind the survival swimming class. You see everyone in the class yelling at the teenagers on this boat, especially the captain who was just, like, tearing into these kids. Obviously, you could see it on his face. After a second, you notice that Lorelai is missing. And after another second, you notice that Lorelai is under the surface of the water, beating against the sheet of ice. Oh, fuck that. Um, uh, okay, uh, quick succession, Sid is gonna cast Water Walk, get up, run across the surface of the lake, and cast Dispel Magic on whatever this ice is. You Water Walk over there, um, you have to roll to cast Dispel Magic. Wall of Ice is a 6th level spell, so this is a DC 16 roll. Okay, and that's with my spellcasting ability, right? Yeah, so plus 5. 19. So the ice is gone. He's going to break off another fourth level spell slot to cast Water Walk again, because that will automatically bring Lorelai to the surface. Okay. Lorelai pops out of the water like a buoy, coughing, gasping. Everyone in this class is still yelling. These teenagers on the boat are yelling back defensively. As soon as Lorelai has recovered, she pulls her wand out of a pocket on her swimsuit. Ah, no, no. This is not something the campers should be handling. We've got it, alright? Just chill. Er. Well, I, I, I didn't mean it like that. Lorelai gives you a glare and then starts to step forward on the water. I think she gets held back by Sunshine, who is still water walking. And she says, Let me at him! Nobody's being let at anybody, alright? He whips around and looks at the kids on the boat. What the hell is your problem? You could have killed somebody. As you do that, you see that you, the pirate, is attempting to climb on board this boat. <laughs> I blow my whistle super loud. Roll something real quick. You startles and falls off the boat. <laughs> Goes under the water for just a second and comes up spluttering. Glasses is swimming over to where Sunshine is holding Lorelai back, looking concerned. And you and the captain are both just screaming curses. And these kids on the boat, you see a human girl with blonde hair, big green eyes, wearing a pair of big round sunglasses and a swimsuit. You see an orcish teenager with long hair and a braid. You see a goblin boy who is too seen even for you. And you watch this human girl bring her sunglasses down a little bit and yell back, 
Well, evocation finals are coming up, so we just came out here to get some practice. We didn't know you all would be out here. Yeah, whole massive lake full of water and you put one of my campers into an icy snow globe. I don't think so, princess. You're not Australian, so I know that attempted murder isn't on any of your academic rubrics. It was an honest mistake, and now everybody is attacking us for no reason. Trust me, Cupcake, when I attack you, you'll know. Now piss off to your side of the lake before I rat you out to the highest authority I can. This orcish kid behind her scoffs and goes, Let's just go, Izzy. I'm bored. And you, the pirate from the water, yells, Oh, you're fucking bored, are you? You're about to be fucking dead. Enough! It's my job to make sure nobody dies, alright? So campers, back to camp before I make you go there. You get a bunch of mutinous looks, and then the captain whistles. He doesn't have a whistle, he just uses his fingers, and goes, Alright, can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree. Someone get Lorelai to a healing tent, if you'd be so kind. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got her. Sid's gonna lead Lorelai with both of them water walking back towards the shore and just shoot a venomous glare over the academy kids as they go. Lorelai also shoots a venomous glare back at these kids, and then you watch her start to cast a spell. She casts telekinesis, and she's going to flip this boat upside down under these three academy kids. Oh no, hope that doesn't mess up their hair. Seriously, are you okay? As you hear increased commotion again behind you, Lorelai gives you a little self-satisfied smile and goes, I'm fine now. I can take myself to the healing tent, thanks. And she extricates herself from you. Cool, yeah, you're welcome for the save. Good to know our beef still isn't squashed. She stops, turns, gives you a look, and says, Yeah, you could always ask my big brother to intercede on your behalf. Ah, wait. Oh. Yep, yep. All in a day's work. Lorelai's not listening. She turned back around and is walking towards the healing tent. Sabine, you are sitting around a low-burning campfire with a handful of your siblings. One big group of the campers is out doing swim lessons with the captain, and the other group is in the woods with Erevay doing tracking lessons, so you have some time to yourselves. Colette and Florian are passing a flask of something back and forth, taking long pulls off of it. Oberon has a long stick and is, like, poking at logs in the fire in a way that is not fire-safe at all. He looks up at you and grins. It's quiet. Too quiet. Why would you tempt fate by saying that? Because tempting fate is like our family's whole thing, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah, and that always works out really well for us. There's an awkward moment of silence. Next to you, Fee looks like she is trying to turtle down into her shirt. And Oberon raises his eyebrows and goes, Wow, way to be a buzzkill, Sabine. Yep, that's me, I'm the buzzkill. Let's talk about something else, everybody. 
Florian opens his mouth to say something, but before he can get it out, you hear the sound of people approaching through the woods. And into camp walks your brother, Sid, your sibling, Jay, and the captain. Sid and the captain are both very damp. The captain is, like, actively wringing out his hair. And they all look stressed. Jay looks stressed, which you know is bad. Oh, Kimrel's bones. Who's dead? The captain finishes wringing out his hair and flops down to sit on a log next to you. Ah, no one thanks to some quick thinking on Sid's part, but those little shits from the Academy. Gah! What little... the same little shits? Oh, I thought it would be funny to put Lorelai in a wall of ice spell under the water. What? Is she okay? Do I have to... Sid, who is halfway through jamming a wet bucket hat back on his head, looks down into the fire like he's trying to find the answers to the universe. She's fine. Pissed off, but fine. Look, Sabine, I don't know what to tell you, but I think there's mutiny amongst the ranks. The campers want vengeance, and I don't know how far this is going to escalate. Look, you know the headmistresses of that academy, right? Can't you just get them written up or something? Uh... Yeah, I I can see about that. I will arrange a meeting with Adana and Selica. What do you mean, mutiny? I mean that it took me and the captain to prevent bloodshed. Well, yeah, apparently those little shits tried to drown Lorelai. It... <sighs> Emotions are running high. It, it's understandable. We are keeping an eye on them. If everybody could just keep an eye on their campers, please then this shouldn't be a problem. Jay had sat down at the edge of the clearing and started picking flowers to make a flower crown and looks up very sharply. Oh shit, where are my campers? I gotta, I'm gonna go deal with that. Yeah, Jay, please, please go deal with that. Does someone want to help them deal with that? Oberon stands up and dusts his hands off on the front of his pants and then picks up a loot from the ground where it had been sitting next to him. I got it. Music soothes the savage beast and everything. Go ahead, Jay. I'm right on your heels. As they're walking out of the clearing, you hear him yell to the group that's in the woods. Okay, everybody, time for a sing-along. Kumbaya! Sabine puts her head fully in her hands. Okay. So that's handled. Um, yeah, everybody just keep an eye on your campers. I will, I, I will send a message to Adana and Selica tonight and see if I can get a meeting arranged for tomorrow. If we could all just be cool for 24 hours. Not even, not even, 18, 18 hours. Give me that long. Cool? Yeah, everybody? None of your siblings say anything. <clears throat> Everybody in this clearing with the last name Javaris, I'm gonna need an affirmative. Roll intimidation. Do I get advantage on account of being their big sister? Sure. Thank you. 21. All of their eyes go really big, and at varying volumes, they all mumble affirmative. Thank you. I'm gonna... Who... I'm going to go make sure all the campers are turned in for the night, and then I'm going to go to bed. Fee, Captain, please be in our tent when I get there. 
the captain bites at the inside of his cheek like he's trying not to say something, but it comes out anyway. Well, I, uh, I hate to see you frustrated, lass, but... And then he looks over at Fee and waggles his eyebrows and walks out of the clearing, whistling. There's that go-getter attitude I appreciate so much in my husband. She turns to Fee and says, I'll see you two in a few minutes. Feel free to get comfortable. I'm gonna go. And then she's gonna start walking off to get the campers tucked in. Sid actually falls into step beside you as you go, kind of wringing his hands in front of him. Look, Sabine, I'm not trying to be alarmist, but I really think- Sid, it's 18 hours, we are all keeping an eye out. It's as fine as I can make it, okay? I get that having a little bit of power back and not getting any respect has given you a little bit of an authoritarian moment, but please, do not make this harder on me than it already is. Thanks? I wasn't trying to- He looks a little hurt, and more than a little pissed, but- Finally just jams his bucket hat down a little harder on his head and scoffs. Fine, forget I said anything. I'm gonna go check on my campers, I guess. Yeah, after he walks off and is out of eyeline, Sabine puts her head back in her hands and just fists her hands in her hair. Okay. Deep breaths. Count to ten. And then she's going to walk off and go to put the rest of the campers to bed. Sid, you wake up out of your trance in the middle of the night. I would assume still not feeling awesome after that conversation with Sabine. What are you doing? Sid's a light sleeper. He has nightmares, has since he was a kid. He just shoots Bolt up in his cot, bucket hat still on. And I think still feeling anxious about that conversation with Sabine, he's going to go do a bed check on his campers. Okay. You get up, walk out. It is a serene night. There are grasshoppers chirping. It's dark. The fire in the middle of camp has gone out. You walk to the tents that have been designated to your campers, throw the first one open, and it is empty. No, 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 no. He runs to the next one. Empty also. No, 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 no. He runs to the next one. Take a wild fucking guess, buddy. Kimberl, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) I think Sid has not a full panic attack, but definitely the precursor to one, just standing there clutching at the brim of his hat and looking wildly back and forth between the tents. He's in way over his head and now has to deal with the fact that he's going to have to ask somebody for help with this. What are my options as far as that goes? Like, getting assistance? I mean, as far as counselors, all of your siblings are helping to run the camp. A no. That's fair. Uh, Fee and the captain are also helping. Aravay's helping. I think at present, that is it as far as adults in the camp. Oh, this is fucked. This is so fucked. He casts sending and sends a telepathic message to Ferrora Valsine. Meet me by the campfire. Things are so bad. I need your help. Don't bring Sabine. 
after a moment of standing at the campfire, trying not to freak out, I'm sure, Ferora Valsine comes out of the shadows, rubbing at an eye and yawning. <sighs> what is going on? They're all gone. I'm gonna regret saying this, but come again. My campers are all gone. She blinks a couple times and then walks a little closer and just hisses. What do you mean they're all gone? You know, I take you for many things, Ferora, impetuous and mildly annoying among them, but I did not think I needed to count dense. Gone! Absconded! Disappeared! Vamoosed! I got what you meant. What? How did this happen? How did you let this happen? I have to trance. I didn't know they would just up and go while I was doing it. Well, I did. Actually, I brought this concern up to Sabine, so if any legal action gets taken against the camp, I'm not technically culpable, both because I'm a minor and because I already warned management about this. <laughs> I told her that the campers were going to be out for blood after what those dipshit Academy kids did to Lorelai. I told her, and she didn't listen to me. Uh, okay, uh, we need to go wake Sabine up, we need to make a game plan. No, 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 we are not doing that. Point A, I'm the head counselor, it is my job to deal with difficulties regarding the campers. Point B, I really don't want to listen to my sister yell at me for mucking things up. And point C, she will have an aneurysm and die. Do you want a dead girlfriend? Well, obviously not, and you have a point, but we don't have a plan, and I'm not good at coming up with plans, and- who told you you were head counselor? Never mind, never mind, doesn't matter. I'm head counselor by virtue of my competence over that of my siblings, obviously. Doesn't matter. Uh, oh my god, oh my god, what are we gonna do? The only thing we can do. I know where they're going. We go across the lake, try to cut them off, and get them back here before the sun and Sabine both get up. And we never talk about this to anyone ever again. I can think of so many ways this could go wrong, but let's do it. Sid is a very weedy young man with very skinny arms. He is not going to fuck about with boats right now. He's just casting water walk on both of them and running across the lake. I am burning through so many of my higher level spell slots, but it's okay. It's fine. Okay, you and Fee run across this lake. Make a survival check for me just to make it up to the school, because there is kind of some woods. 23. Okay. Uh, yeah, you walk up from the lake shore. Um, the academy's not super far. It's kind of a converted older building that was left to ruin for a bit and is now being restored into a livable academy. Um, there's still some pieces that are under construction, but... The parts that are necessary for lodging the students and holding classes are mostly up and operational. You make your way up there. Uh, go ahead and roll, let's say, investigation to find your campers. Nine. Uh-oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. It's never been here before. Um. He reaches down to his belt and grabs his priest's knife 
and just looks wildly back and forth before turning back to Fee. Alright, fuck this. He casts Locate Object on Use Big Broadsword. Because <laughs> he doesn't have Locate Creature prepared, but I'm willing to bet that wherever you is, she has her sword. Yeah, not even to do violence, it's just like a blankie. Um, <laughs> yeah, you cast Locate Object on Use Broadsword. <laughs> okay, so if she's within a thousand feet of me in any direction, I know where she is. Yeah, okay. Uh, she's in the building. You would have to get closer to get more detail on that. But you're not going to need to, because as you finish casting this spell, you hear an enraged yell from inside the academy building. Fuck! Come on, Fee, time's a-wasting. He takes off running. Y'all run into the building... The sounds of commotion increase. They're upstairs. You bolt up there and come upon a scene in the hallway outside of one of the student dormitories. Your campers are all here, yelling. You has hefted her broadsword, and Sunshine is just absolutely chewing out these academy kids. You come up in the middle of her yelling, and another thing! Glasses is, like, holding Lorelai back, and Courage is looking back and forth frantically between all of these older kids and nervously knocking and unknocking her crossbow. <laughs> Ready to do violence, but not sure if she's allowed yet. And these three Academy kids that have been giving all of you such a hard time are standing in the hallway also yelling. Izzy Shieldbrook is being held back by her friend Cash. She has no eyebrows anymore. Her eyebrows are gone. Cash has just globs of some kind of sticky substance on their face, which is sticking on just ludicrous amounts of glitter that is slowly falling off and around them in a torrent. <laughs> and yet not decreasing off of their face in any measurable way. And Dax Darkwood is covered head to toe in what it takes you a moment to realize is thick, sticky, sludge-like purple paint. Sid blows his whistle super loud. Absolutely no one embroiled in this argument pays attention to your whistle, although as you are standing there, more academy kids are pouring out of the other dormitory rooms, looking around, and a bunch of them look directly at you, trying to be an authority in this situation. Sid has been the Hierophant for several decades, and usually knows how to get a situation under control, but in this moment, he's so, like, overstimulated and worked up, that he reverts back to the equivalent 15-year-old that he actually is and just starts looking around wildly. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. We need an adult. We need an adult! <laughs> Fee casts Thaumaturgy. The ground under all of your feet rumbles. <laughs> and then Fee, her voice magically amplified, yells, ENOUGH! There is a moment of silence. It is broken by the commotion of a bunch of teachers from downstairs lower in this building getting up and starting to yell. You hear a Donna Valsine yell, What is going on up there? 
as a bunch of people move for the stairs. <laughs> All of these other children look around, and then you turn slowly to your campers, who you are in charge of, and the three Academy kids they have formed a blood feud with. <laughs> As Cash Hazelhelm stands up a little straighter and yells, Bruiser, get him! Who the fuck is Bruiser? I'm so glad you asked. Out of this room, like a bullet, runs a little metal chihuahua. (laughs) Okay. I think the closest one of the campers to it is Glasses, because he's in front of Lorelai, trying to do the whole, like, teen movie girlfriend, babe, it's not worth it thing. And Bruiser just bites him right on the ankle. I'm gonna roll. 11 plus 8 is 19. That's gonna hit Glasses. So that does 9 force damage as this little metal chihuahua's jaws just unhinge and open up. And then, right into Glasses' Achilles tendon. Oh! Are we an initiative, or can I do something? Glasses stops trying to hold Lorelai back to hop with this chihuahua still attached to his ankle and yell, Son of a! And then Dax Darkwood casts Hypnotic Pattern. I need everybody to roll a whiz save. That's a nat 20. Okay. So that's a 31 to a whiz save for Sid. He's not having this. I'm going to roll for Fee. Six. I'm going to roll for you. 14. Doesn't make it, but not bad. Going to roll for Sunshine, who almost has as good of a whiz save as you do. 15, exactly. Meets it, beats it. Lorelai has nothing to whiz. <laughs> Ten. Glasses gets a plus three. Nine. Courage also gets a plus three. Twelve. <laughs> so, of everyone who has come here from Beacon Summer Camp, the only people who are not incapacitated are you, Sid Javaris, and Sunshine, the Stormfolk Cleric. Everyone else is incapacitated and has a speed of zero as a glimmering miasma of checkers and studs and red band t-shirts with black ties tied over them and zebra-striped extensions <laughs> floats in the air above you. What are you doing? Sid glares at this kid and goes, I'll be damned if I get out emoed by some punk. And then points at the metal chihuahua and casts command and says, Sit, boy! (laughs) I need Bruiser the metal chihuahua to roll me a whiz save. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Nat one plus zero. Okay. The chihuahua unlatches from Glasses' ankle as he slowly sits on the ground, staring up at this hot mess of scene iconography. (laughs) (laughs) And Bruiser sits (laughs) with a clang. Sunshine starts casting a dispel magic, and Isabel Shieldbrook, the human wizard, now with no eyebrows, 
raises her wand to point at you. And then you hear from down the hall, What the hell is going on here? Weapons down! You turn, and at the end of the hall stands Dowager Archduchess Adana Valsine and esteemed artificer Selica Morin, both clearly still dressed for bed. They have matching nightgowns on. It's actually kind of cute. Or at least it would be if Adana didn't look ready to kill you. <laughs> Sid doesn't turn his head over to her, but kind of shoots his eyes sideways and tries for a winning smile, but it comes out absolutely horrifying. But he does very slowly put his knife down. Reluctantly, Isabel Shieldbrook puts her wand down. Sunshine does not let go of her holy symbol. She is still casting to spell magic. <laughs> but Bruiser the Chihuahua has been neutralized and Dax Darkwood drops a little crystal rod that he has been casting out of. Celica comes over and starts checking people over, trying to figure out if anybody's hurt, which Glasses is, obviously. And Adana marches up, seething, and goes, Okay, so we're gonna dispel this hypnotic pattern. And then someone had better have a good explanation for what is going on in my school this evening. And as the hypnotic pattern is slowly coming down from Sunshine's Dispel Magic, and Celica is bandaging uh, Glasses' ankle, he is still entranced, looking up at the scene miasma. <laughs> Celica says, Darling, calm down, it's not good for your blood pressure. Sid doesn't do well with people in authority being mad at him. He just sort of shuffles his feet on the ground and goes, Yeah, Fee, give her an explanation. Fee is like just coming out of this hypnotic pattern. She is so groggy. She goes, mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Um. <laughs> she raises a hand and awkwardly waves. Hi, Adana. Adana turns to look at her slowly and says, Ferrara, I'm very disappointed that you're part of whatever this is. And Fee makes a face that you are very familiar with, that of someone taking massive amounts of psychic damage. (laughs) (laughs) Just goes, Well, you see, there was a little disagreement between uh, some of our campers and uh, a, a few of your students, and it got a little out of hand. Uh, it, as you can see, obviously, um, yeah, uh, for what it's worth, they started it. Definitely tried to murder Lorelai. Izzy Shieldbrook says, I said it was an accident. Lorelai, who has come out of this hypnotic pattern, <laughs> takes a deep breath, <laughs> clenches her fists, and yells, My Ass it was! Adana raises her hands and just goes, Okay! All of you, with me, we are going to have a conversation with the head of your camp. Everyone else, beds! Now! The other students all go back into their dormitories. Fee, like, reflexively takes a step towards the dormitory and then remembers that she's not getting out of this that easy and just looks at the ground. Sid raises one finger, also looking at the ground. Um, miss, headmistress, 
Archduchess Adana, ma'am. Rather than having me involved in the process of contacting the head of our camp, I just wanted to ask if perhaps execution was an option. (laughs) Sabine. It is way too early for whatever the fuck this is. You are sitting at the end of a long mahogany conference table at the Lockham Academy of Arcane Arts and Sciences, staring down at Selica Morin and Adana Valsine, who have behind them several of your campers, your baby brother, and your girlfriend, all looking extremely chastised. Selica brings up one hand to pinch at the bridge of her nose, while the other rubs at one of her temples and just shakes her head. Okay, so, from what we were able to gather, it seems that we have a little rivalry on our hands. And it trashed a good quarter of my school last night, so let's start putting some options on the table about how we're going to fix this. Sabine pinches the bridge of her nose, nods, glares at her campers, and says, Yes, let's come up with options. I would love to hear your thoughts first, and then I will contribute my own if we cannot reach an equitable solution. Adana nods and starts drumming her fingertips along the top of the table. Well, first of all, we're not here to lay blame or even to say that our kids are innocent in all of this. Summer session is for those students who didn't quite make it through the academic year, and while this is technically confidential, I don't think it'll surprise anybody to know that Miss Shieldbrook is here because she failed her Intro to Magical Ethics course this fall. The situation on the other side of the lake is solely on us for poor supervision, and we're sorry. And we absolutely appreciate that. She looks at the campers one by one and says, Right, kids? Your campers actually grumble kind of mutinously. Lorelai Shakrana says nothing. She's just glaring a hole in the floor. Your brother takes a little bit more initiative, though. He sort of shifts his weight side to side uncomfortably and reaches up to scratch at the back of his neck. And, um, I take responsibility for the camper's escalation. I should have been a better counselor. I'm sorry. Thank you. She looks back at Adana and says, As long as there are proper consequences for the kids involved, and I would argue some restitution paid towards Ms. Shakrana, if possible, although I will leave the form of that up to you, then I see no reason to continue anything further. And I, of course, apologize for the disruption that our campers caused. Lorelai holds her head very high and sort of tosses her pigtails back behind her shoulders. I took her eyebrows and her dignity. No further payment is necessary. Okay, then I am satisfied. Anything you would like done as far as making amends for everything that happened last night, I would love to hear. Selica's looking more than a little stressed out. You can see her sort of picking at her nails and looking around the room like she's trying to come up with something. 
But Adana's pretty cool under the pressure. She just meets your eyes across the table and nods slowly. Well, I know how hard you worked on this program, Sabine, and I feel bad that it got messed up for you, but I think we all know teenagers, and we know that the pattern of escalation isn't exactly going to fix itself. We just need one more week to get summer session and exams wrapped up, and then everyone in this building is headed home until the end of break. Maybe if we could get some distance between the kids, maybe you find a way to take a field trip, something, I don't know. Again, I don't want to interrupt your programming, but I'd like to prevent this from happening again. That is absolutely reasonable, and we will figure something out. I think I have something, actually, though I suspect you may not approve. Adana had brought up both hands to sort of steeple her fingers in front of her face, but you see her smirk a little bit and pull her hands apart. This glimmering web of bluish-silver magic intertwines between them, and she looks down into the spaces between these magic strands, her smile widening as she looks into whatever possible future you're suggesting here. Oh, there's a 90% chance that I'll think it's absolutely hilarious, Sabine. Carry on. Kids, behave, please. Okay, everybody, let's get back to camp. Sabine rounds up her campers and Fee and heads out of the academy, and as she's doing that, she pulls a stone of far speech out of her pocket and dials Leo. <laughs> okay. The sort of arcane code you have for the Stone of Far Speech actually just wires directly into the royal palace in Valentall. So you hear a couple long magical buzzes as this thing sort of rings. And then there's a click, a hiss, and an image appears on the big flat facet on top of this gem. You see the face of a half-orc gentleman, long dark hair in an undercut, back in a ponytail, lots of dangly gold jewelry hanging out of his tusks, kind of heavy set. He looks bored to death. He is not even looking into the face of this stone of far speech as he answers it and goes, Valentall City Morgue, you kill him, we chill him. Just kidding, Royal Palace, this is Zed speaking. Oh, hey Sabine. What? Uh, hi, Zed. Great to see you. Uh, I'm going to need to speak to your fiancé if he has a moment in his schedule. Please, thanks. Mr. Zed Stonebloom rolls his eyes and finally fully looks down into the Stone of Far speech. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Between trying to get the trade routes set up with Dowrier and negotiations with the Zephyr Isles, he doesn't even have time for me anymore. What do you need, anyway? I thought you were supposed to be out in the woods making s'mores and going on nature hikes and shit. Not exactly. It is a camp training children to do espionage, but minor details. Water under the bridge. We need to go on a bit of an excursion, at least until the summer semester ends at the Academy of Arcane Arts, because there was a bit of an incident with an attempted drowning and a 
escalating prank war. People were injured. It's a whole thing. Um, so I thought it would be a great idea if we had perhaps a hypothetical mission to stage. Zed kind of mulls it over for a second, nodding with a mildly confused look as you explain all of this, but then slowly starts to get this shit-eating grin. Alright. So, uh, I can't get you into the boss man right now, but if you can promise that I'm at least gonna get a laugh out of this whole field trip, I'll give you a guided tour of the palace. Anything to get me out from behind this desk. I'm so glad you said that. I'll get back to you in a couple hours after I've arranged everything. Talk to you soon, toodles! And then Sabine hangs up. As you do that, you hear through the back of the Stone of Far Speech, Don't ever tell me toodles again! Click. So, Sid, you stumble off of a boat onto the docks at Velental trailed by a couple dozen campers, all of your surviving siblings, Fee, the captain, and Erve. Standing on the docks is a big, heavy-set man of orcish descent, jewelry dripping from his tusks, picking at his fingernails, and he raises a hand in a wave as you all get off the boat and then looks at how many people are getting off the boat and goes, All right. Sid is obsessively doing head counts of his campers. He gets finished doing a head count and then immediately starts doing another one. Sabine smiles beatifically and gets up on her tiptoes to give this guy a kiss on the cheek. You recognize Zed. You're not close with him, but you know who he is. And then Sabine turns to the rest of you and says, Campers, stay exactly where you are. Counselors, step with me to the side for just a second. You all go, and Sabine says, Okay, everybody, this is Zed. He's saving our asses. Say thank you, Zed. Thank you, Zed. Your siblings all chorus with you, and Zed reaches up to rub the back of his neck and goes, Uh, no problem? I don't know how much Sabine told you, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for ratting us all out, but a bunch of Adonis school kids tried to murder Lorelai, and it sparked a blood feud, and you gave us an out. You know, I've never been to summer camp, but this doesn't strike me as, like, normal summer camp type stories. Yeah, you're right, but this is Beacon Summer Camp, and actually all of this is disturbingly on theme. Sabine interrupts before Zed can say anything and goes, Anyway. So, everybody, here's the plan. We are simulating a mission to assassinate a corrupt monarch. You're all going to brief your campers once we get there. No advantages going in. We are going to all have to navigate our way through the palace. And whoever's camper neutralizes the target will get some kind of prize once we get back to camp. I haven't figured out all the details yet. Uh, I feel like I know the answer to this question already, but just for posterity's sake, who's our target? Zed snorts as Sabine, again smiling, says, Our target is His Majesty Archduke Lairel Valsine. <laughs> Sid's like full manic, he's just cackling. 
Oh, yeah. I'm sure he was so on board with playing the corrupt monarch for this after everything we all went through. What did you pay him? I didn't tell him anything for the authenticity of the mission. Sid just looks back and forth between Sabine and Zed like, are you fucking serious? Your sister Colette puts a finger up and goes, so this seems a little unethical to me. Yeah, I mean, Leo getting a nasty surprise doesn't exactly bother me any. I find him very vexing, but we're not like actually killing him, right? Because that would kind of be a setback for all of the shit we did with, you know, overthrowing the last Archduke and... Jay, seemingly despite themselves, blurts out, What is wrong with you? We don't have time for that debriefing right now. Anyway, I had to ask, I don't know what kind of life insurance Zed has on him. Sabine looks like she is on the edge right now. She just says, No, we're not killing anybody. I have blunted weapons. We are fine. (laughs) Look, the mission is just... Walk through the palace, avoid security, and hit the Archduke with some kind of blunted weapon, and then we can all go home. Okay? Yeah? We're all good? I will figure out what whichever of you wins gets. After we accomplish this, then I don't have to worry about our camp getting shut down, and I have a second to relax. Okay? Okay. Oberon kind of crosses his arms over his chest and grins and goes, I don't know, we might as well just declare the winner now. Sid stares at him. Have you, like, ever been in the palace before? Have you ever seen the Archduke? Oberon deflates a little bit, and Colette puts her head in her hands and goes, Oh, God, teenage boys. I thought Florian was going to be the worst of it. And Florian from next to her goes, Hey! And Sabine just puts both hands up and goes, Okay! Round up your campers, let's just go to the palace. Um, if he can, Sid's gonna try to get her aside for a second before they all roll out. Seeing that she is on the edge, all of your siblings have seemingly had the same thought, so I think you all kind of stumble into each other a little. Alright, everybody back off. I need to talk to Sabine. I need to go eat some crow, and none of you are invited to the banquet. There is a pause. And then the rest of your siblings kind of shuffle past, all reaching out to give Sabine hesitant pats on the back, and such gestures of comfort, and mumbled reassurances. They gather up their campers and start heading off down the street under Zed's direction. Sid walks over next to his sister and sort of kicks at a pebble on the ground, not looking at her. I'm sorry I screwed everything up. I know how important this whole camp thing was to you. It's not screwed up. You didn't screw anything up. Just just had to improvise a little bit. It's fine. We're doing this. We are out of the situation. I'm going to need, like, three weeks to vegetate in a spa after this, but I'm glad we're doing it. Let's just... She reaches out and hesitantly pats you on the top of the head. Just gather up your campers and go, please. We're fine. We just need to get this done. Okay? Okay, I just... It doesn't feel good being the one that's stressing you out. 
all right, because I know how hard you've worked and how hard the last few years have already been, and I, like, love you and stuff, and I just feel bad that I screwed up. Sabine takes a very deep breath, scrubs her hands down her face, and says, I love you too. It's okay. I would have found something to stress out about regardless. Don't. And then she reaches out and, like, tentatively pulls you into a hug, giving you, like, time to pull away if you want. No, he hugs her back. He genuinely does feel like shit about messing up her whole summer camp thing. Okay, yeah. She gives you a hug and goes, I don't want to be upsetting you either. Okay? We're okay. We do have to get this done, though. Everybody's getting ahead of us, and I'm going to get a stress migraine about it. So true. I need to brief my strike team. If Oberon beats me on this, I'll never live it down. She pulls away, pats you on the back, and goes, Go get him, your holiness. Okay, I'm going to find my campers. Yeah, they're still standing on the dock. You round them up, and you have to hustle a little bit to catch up with everybody else. Are you having this conversation as you walk, or what? Despite being in a hurry, he's actually going to make sure his campers are at the back of the pack so they can talk and not be overheard. Okay, team, here's how it's going to go. I'm betting that the big guy up there is going to give everybody a rudimentary tour of the palace to put us all on an even playing field. But what everyone here has forgotten to take into consideration is that I'm the Hierophant, and I've been in that palace dozens of times. More specifically, I've been in the Archduke's study dozens of times. I know exactly where we're going. We'll wait for an opportune moment during the tour, dip out, and neutralize the target before they're even done finding out where the bathrooms are. There's a pause, and then Sunshine looks around at everybody and goes, Ah, does this not sound like cheating to anybody else? Clearly someone never read the camper's handbook, Sunshine. First rule of the beacon is that cheating is unequivocally allowed. Another pause, and then Courage, holding her crossbow, goes, Woo! Cheating! Sorry. Woo! Cheating! Sid heaves a long-suffering sigh, but then dips out around all his other campers to make eye contact with Oberon and do like an I'm-watching-you gesture. You all make it to the palace. As predicted, there's an announcement that you are going to get kind of a preliminary tour of the palace. Not anything in-depth and not anything related to the specific areas you're going to try to go to but just enough to get, like, the lay of the land in a basic way. I want you to make me a self-check with disadvantage, and I'm just going to let that ride instead of doing a group check. Uh, I rolled a 5, but that's a 16. Okay, that'll do. As your entire group is kind of going through this tour, you manage to find an opening to sneak yourself and your campers off. What are you doing? Uh, that depends. What time of day is it? Uh, I think it's probably around noon. Okay, that being the case, if the Archduke is doing Archduke things, he's probably either in the throne room or in his study, so I'm gonna shepherd the kids off toward the study and hope that we get lucky. Okay, I'm gonna roll a luck check. Alright, 
you start heading off towards the study. Uh, roll stealth again. Uh, straight or with disadvantage again? Disadvantage. We're just letting that stand in for doing a group check. That was a six, but it's a 17. All right. You managed to get up into the kind of less public areas of the palace. And I'm going to ask you to roll survival to find the study. Do I get anything to that because I've been here like a million times? Yeah, go ahead and roll with advantage. I rolled two tens, so 15. Yeah, you managed to find your way to the hall that leads to the royal study, and you do hear noise coming from the study. Sid has been going full special ops ever since he and the campers peeled off. He's doing, like, the silent hand signals to tell them when it's okay to follow. He looks over at Sunshine, nods at the door, and goes, Sunshine, clairvoyance, we need to know what we're dealing with in there. She nods and casts clairvoyance. Sunshine doesn't cast with an orb or anything you can kind of see through, so you just watch her eyes light up white, and she starts narrating what's going on. Apparently, Leo is just sitting at his desk. Okay, I know this guy. If we bust down the door, he's just gonna make a run for it. We need something to lure him out into the open before we strike. Courage from the back of the pack kind of pushes in towards you and says, If I win you this prize, do I get a cut? Do you get a- Are you really trying to hustle me right now? Yeah, pretty much. (sighs) You get 10% and I don't write home to your mom telling her what you did. Okay. Courage just heads down the hall. Courage, don't just- Go! Alright, everybody, follow stealthily. You all follow down the hall. Lorelai kind of leans over to you and goes, I know this seems bad, but I know courage, and this is probably going to work out in her favor. She's a baby. What is she going to do? You would be surprised. This fucking eight-year-old is just skipping down the hall, not a care in the world. She stops in front of the office door, takes a deep breath like she's an actress centering herself, and then just starts bawling. Big messy tears and knocks on the door. (laughs) The fucking what? (laughs) Okay. Sid tries to get everybody else into strike positions, like get them to hide behind suits of armor and shit. Roll me stealth with disadvantage one more time. Uh, 14. Hey, Barry, what is Leo's passive perception? Uh, over 20 at this point. Okay. That's not ideal for you, but the door of the study opens, and Archduke Lairal Valsine stands in the doorway, looks down at this crying eight-year-old, and goes... Oh, Kimra's bones. Hi, sweetie. Are you okay? What's going on? And Courage, just again, messy bawling, goes, <laughs> I don't know. I lost my mom. Can you help me? <laughs> and Leo looks around, confused. <laughs> and then 
because his passive perception is over 20, he sees, like, just the edge of Sunshine's dress around a statue and goes, what the? Courage, now! Courage is gonna kick Leo in the shin and then whip her crossbow out from behind her back and just shoot him in the forehead. (laughs) This extremely blunted and safe crossbow bolt just knocks right into his forehead and he goes ow the hell and the rest of your team just descends out from behind these statues Sid strolls very leisurely out from behind a suit of armor and just starts pacing back and forth in front of Leo with his hands behind his back and his bucket hat pulled down on his head well 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 what have we here Tie him up, we need evidence. Leo looks extremely confused, just goes, Evidence of what? And Courage whips around, beaming, and says, The target is neutralized! (laughs) As the rest of your campers descend, pulling out coils of rope, Lorelai grimaces and goes, Sorry about this, Leo. And then starts tying him up. (laughs) He is kicking and struggling, but has negative one to strength and is no match for these teenagers. (laughs) As they are doing that, you, very frankly, goes, Not to be a stickler for the rules, Leo, but she did shoot you in the forehead. By all rights, you're dead. And Leo, being tied up, goes, What do you mean? Why are you all in my house? We're assassinating a corrupt monarch, or at least training how to. Leo pauses as he is struggling not to be tied up to give you just the bitchiest look and says, oh, that's fucking rich. And as he is doing that, he gets tied up the rest of the way. Just trust like a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Sid's going to cast Thaumaturgy and make his voice really loud and go, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. There is a pause. I think palace security gets to you before the rest of the camp does. What are you doing about that problem, first of all? Sid takes off his bucket hat to reveal his Hierophant's headdress underneath it. (laughs) I assure you, everything is fine. There's been a large misunderstanding. Please don't kill us. From behind you, Leo goes, Get me out of here! Uh, don't do that. His majesty is simply deeply in character. He's helping out these youths with a training exercise. Roll deception, and I'm gonna roll uh, persuasion for Leo. His charisma's not great, but we'll see. I rolled a nat one to deception, but I have a plus one, so it's a two. Okay, so mechanically, Leo can't roll that low because he has proficiency in persuasion. Uh, So it's a plus eight. So the palace guards start walking over, very confused about why a gaggle of teenagers and one eight-year-old holding a crossbow have tied the Archduke up. I cast anti-life shell. What? (laughs) You do? What? (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm a death cleric. I always have it prepared. It's a fifth level spell. And it's 20 feet across. It's a dome that moves with me. And anything that's not undead 
can't go through it. So I get out in front of the campers and Leo between them and palace security and I cast anti-life shield and I just post up in the middle of the hallway. Okay, so your campers and Leo get shoved back against the wall and in Leo's case, he skids through the office door. Like they're getting put into an easy bake oven as this anti-life shell knocks into them. These palace guards stop and they don't carry ranged weapons because why would they? So they look at each other confused and then one of them says to the other, Uh, I I mean, go get a bow. And the other goes, Uh, alright. You fools dare threaten the voice of Kimrel? They both stop. (laughs) And then from the office, Leo yells, Threaten the little shit! That is a direct order from your Archduke! (laughs) Oh god. Oh god, where's Sabine? The guards stand there for a moment, frozen with indecision. And then, the campers and counselors of the first ever Beacon summer camp find their way down the hall. Sabine stops in the middle of the hall, looks at you, these guards, and everyone behind you on the other side of this anti-life shell, and then puts her hands up and says, This was supposed to be a stealth mission! How did this happen? Uh, you said to neutralize the target. You didn't specify any certain way to do it. Courage got him. Them's the breaks. From his office, Leo yells, Sabine? Oh, thank fuck, help me! Oh, she's not here to help you. She ensured your fictional demise, in fact. What? You notice that Zed is notably absent from the group that is coming down the hallway. Oh, okay, then he's got a head start. Sid doesn't feel bad about doing this then. He turns over his shoulder and yells into the office. Yeah, we uh, messed with your mom's summer school, so she sent us across the ocean to mess with your life instead, and your boyfriend let us in. Significantly less confused and more angry, Leo goes, What? Yes, all those closest to you have betrayed you. (laughs) But my condolences. From within this pack, Florian complains, He was supposed to wait until after we finished the tour, Sabine. Somebody should have told me that. Sounds like a sore loser. Sabine sighs and says, He's got you there. And then looks at you and says, Turn the spell off. Okay, Sid dispels the anti-life shell and lets the security go in to get Leo. They do that. (laughs) Courage raises her crossbow and says, I neutralized the target. We win. And Sabine just fully puts her head in her hands and goes, Yeah, you did that. Uh, kids, next lesson is making a quick escape. Everybody run. (laughs) And Sabine turns on her heel and bolts. Sabine, it is several weeks later. You are all back at Beacon Summer Camp on the very last day of your program. All of the campers have packed up to go home. There was a fun bonfire and graduation ceremony where all of the campers got little tin fake beacon coins with like junior operative on the back. 
and you are standing in the midst of long hugs and tearful farewells. After he led them to a somewhat underhanded victory against a man who had no idea what was coming at him, Sid's campers started respecting him a little bit more. They've all become pretty tight-knit in these last few days of camp. You see him give Courage her little fake beacon coin, and she throws her arms around his waist in a hug, and then takes the little plastic tiara off her head that she's been wearing with her tutu and gives it to him. So he now has a tiara on top of a bucket hat on top of his Hierophant's headdress. (laughs) And then she runs off with the group of kids that are all heading back home to Gimtarum. After a while, all the campers have cleared out, and it's just you, Fee, the captain, all of your siblings, and Arabe sitting around the dying embers of the campfire. Sabine deflates like damp cotton candy. (sighs) Why did any of you let me do that? Florian reaches out and pats you on the shoulder. If you need to scream, I think they're all far enough away that no one will hear you. I'll do that later. I need to lay down on the ground for just a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you lay down on the ground. From the ground, she points at Fee and the captain and just goes, You two, three weeks at a spa. Arrange it. Fee nods mutely and the captain snaps to attention and gives you a sharp salute. (laughs) And then the two of them turn around and walk off. For a while, you're just there on your back in the grass, staring up at the sky. And then a weird silhouette of a tiara, a bucket hat, and a veil kind of hovers over your field of vision. Are you, uh, are you going to be okay? I am fine. Sabine gets to her feet, dusts herself off, and says... It occurs to me that this is the first time that all of us have been together without any pressing responsibilities or imminent danger in a very long time. I want to roast some marshmallows. Sid nods thoughtfully and then takes a step back and reaches a hand out to help you up. All right, everybody, you heard the woman. Marshmallows, stat! Yeah, Sabine sits next to this fire and starts roasting some marshmallows and tries to catch up with her siblings. You all sit around until long after sunset, just stoking this fire, making s'mores, shooting the shit with each other. Oberon and Sid start like a paper football war over the fire. Florian and Arave are cuddling on a log. Jay is like making daisy chains in the grass. Colette is looking almost as wound up as you are, but also slowly deflating. After a while, Fee and the captain come back from arranging your spa trip and sit next to you. And after a while, everything lapses into a comfortable silence. Just the crackle of fire and the sound of crickets and the warm presence of your family. And in the midst of this silence, you feel a small nudge against your leg as Sid leans over and sort of elbows you in your knee where he's sitting on the ground. So it all turned out all right after all, huh? (laughs) That it did. 
Now we just have to survive next year. Everybody around this campfire groans in unison. And that is where we end this time. Wahoo! <laughs> Last bonus episode of Campaign 1, everybody! We will see you all next time. On Compelled Duel.